Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow, and with me is my co-host, Susan Fox. Get out! (laughs) And our special guest this week is someone from the world of fandom. This is Marcia Powers. She is the con chair for a new convention on the West Coast here in uh, in the San Fernando Valley. It's called Fandomopolis. Welcome to the show, Marcia. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So you have, uh, you actually wear a lot of hats. Can you tell us some of the things that you're, you're, uh, you're involved in and what you're responsible for? Well, presently, we uh, we started out being Whedonopolis, mm-hmm. uh, the world of Whedon, and that's Whedonopolis.com, and that is a fan news site, um, and I'm the assignment editor. I'm a founder and assignment editor, otherwise known as the herder of kittens, mm-hmm. and um, I'm also president of Fandom Charities, which we started in 07 to be an official charity for our events, and then this year, well, actually last year, starting in um, 14, we st- decided to go ahead with the convention, and so I'm a con chair for that, which means it's all my fault, and I've got a whole bunch of kittens, cats, and dogs, and and, and kangaroos jumping around <laughs> as I'm trying to get them all to do what needs to be so we could put on this really great event. So... What, how did you uh, how did you come up with the idea for Fandomopolis? What was what, what did that grow out of? Well, that particularly grew out of 2006. There was an event called the Brown Coat Backup Bash. Sometimes mm-hmm. you hear it called B3. There was an organ um, a company called Booster Events that, for a couple of years, put on some really decent fan events, even though they did it for profit. The second year that they were supposed to do the Firefly, the official Firefly. Um, convention. A whole weekend, people came in from England and Australia and all over. The company went bankrupt, or at least declared bankruptcy, the day the con was to start. Oh, my. Yeah. And because I always get involved in everything, I had been involved the week before with the browncoats preparing for the God forbid, and then going ahead that weekend and putting it together. And it was amazing. This group of fans, with almost no money, put together a backup convention for the 300 out of 500 people who still showed up um, and talent came and hung out with the fans a lot of things got done for them so what they paid for they didn't get but they, a lot of them said they got even better than that, what they paid for um, and on the last day um, as everyone was thanking us and they had even written cards to us and, and they were so grateful to the team that had put it on that I turned and I said we should do this before anyone else does. We should do a fan convention 
for the Whedonverse. I scared the hell out of everybody who was up on the panel at that time. And every year I kept saying, come on, come on, let's put on a con. They go, no. The closest I got was that uh, Whedonopolis mm-hmm. and Phantom Charities have been doing Halloween screenings of uh, Joss Whedon's Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, along with Felicia Day's The Guild. And then when she finished The Guild, we did other things from her Geek and Sundry channel. And that was always, you know, that was fun, and it was for charity, but it was only a one-day thing. And like I said, beginning of 2014, even though every year I kept saying, come on, can't we do a convention? Please, we're so good at what we do, and we help everybody else, can't we? And then uh, Ray McDermott, who's one of our board members, depending on who you ask, either (laughs) fantastically or foolishly, said, okay, Marcia, yes, let's do it. And everyone went, oh, my God, and we moved forward. And... It's been an interesting ride since then. It's going to be in May, May 8th through mm-hmm. 10th, 2015. But we've been working on it for a year, and now we really are working since it's only four months away. Um, now, where's it going to be? It's going to be in the San Fernando Valley section of Los Angeles um, mm-hmm. at the Airtel Plaza Hotel, which is right next door but off to the side of the Van Nuys Airport. So if you have a private plane, you can drive right in. <laughs> And if you are coming by public transportation like the MTA or Amtrak or even coming through Burbank Airport, there's a lot of ways to get to us. So don't think it's the middle of the valley. It's actually a fantastic location and it's affordable. That's the big thing for us. I mean, I know I'm doing a little commercial here, but we're only charging $50 for the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we're going to have a huge amount of panels and screenings and talent and all kinds of fun stuff going on through the late hours and sometimes early in the morning, overnight. So it's going to be interesting. This has been kind of a missing link in Los Angeles, the metropolitan area. You have the big corporate conventions, you know, for all your media fandom needs, but not not a family get-together, you know, not the class reunion like, you know, the rest of the country tends to get. Absolutely. I've talked with a lot of um, press folk and a lot of uh, agents and publicists. They say that when you go to Ohio, Wizard World, they get a huge turnout because it's the only place that fans can meet people, that they can meet talent. And here in L.A., we, we kind of run into them in the supermarket. But it's How- not always from the show you want when you when you want it. Absolutely. And they're not going to stop and talk to you and give you an autograph either. It's But what we've been missing here in Los Angeles is a social where fan like like San Diego Comic Con has gotten extremely big, but it used to be very social, and that's what we're hoping to do here: have panels for for information that you actually want to know about, whether it's how to put how to do a bo- podcast, how to do steampunk costuming, um, inf- puppetry, just all this cute, amazing stuff, and some of it's being put on by professionals. Some of it's being put on by folks who are who are very good at what they do, but they're doing it for fun. And everyone is doing it for the love of and the love of fandom. And something really important is when you talk about corporate, I don't begrudge the corporations for making money on this because it's a very smart thing. But our proceeds are going to charity. Everything we've ever done has been for charity. No one takes a paycheck. Um, if I can get coffee for people that's a big deal we usually pay for everything ourselves and so not only will fans be having fun doing things they want to do in a smaller group so they can actually get into the room that they're not standing online forever um but the to know that they're going to be doing good 
Because, you know, uh, to, to quote um, someone that I adore, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. And that's what we look at. I, that's a beautiful way of saying it. It really is. Who'd that come from, anyway? That's actually from an Angel, the TV series Angel episode huh. of him, Joss Whedon. Okay, then. And I I believe it, because when we... we always, A lot of people say, oh, I wish if only, I wish if only. And what we do is we give fans the ability to actually give back to the world. When you hear about these charity events that are $500, $1,000, for a seat, you know, and they all make a big production out of what they're doing... The regular folks can't be involved. They can't help. When we charge $25 for an evening event, we charge $50 for a weekend event, people can come. They know that the money they're spending is going to do good in the world. It's going to do good locally in the world, and they can have a good time at the same time. That's important to us. We have to make sure it's always fun and affordable, and it gives back to the world. What charities are we talking about here? Well, in the past, uh, and I can brag about this one because we felt really good, the first charity we ever raised money for, uh, we did the last legal public screening, <laughs> yeah, legal, of uh, the Buffy musical, Once More with Feeling. That's great because, you know, the, the, the CC, the, the closed caption, you open it up, makes a great sing-along. Well, we did even better. One of our folks, uh, Josh Rubenstein, who has actually been involved with the Star Trek Blu-rays, and because and, he's a DVD author, mm-hmm. um, the, the revamping of it with the high-quality um, colorization and, and everything. Well, what he did for us, because he's one of our people, is he took the original DVD and he made the whole thing open caption. And he did different colors for the different people who are talking. Oh, nice. And in fact, when we do the screening, we close out San Diego Comic-Con every year with the Buffy sing-along. We have a huge amount of deaf and hard of hearing people who come because they know they can be involved because it's open, open caption. And it's really neat. So it was the 10th anniversary and we went ahead and we, we put this together and we figured we would, you know, have a really good time. In fact, we sold out. We had over 300 people. We had some talent come and hang out. And it was for the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Association. And we did really well. We raised over five thousand dollars from oh one event. Oh my! It was it was it was marvelous. And also, what was fun for the attendees <laughs> is that David Fury came and hung out. Um, He's camp- the associate producer, right? The associate producer, and we also screened Smile Time, which was an Angel episode, <laughs> the little puppet angel, the oh, wee yes. puppet man. Uh-huh. And oh, so that's hilarious. David Fury wrote that, uh-huh. and he's in it. Um, Camden Toy, who does uh, mo- under monster makeup. In fact, for uh, Buffy and Angel, he was a lot of the monsters. He was one of the gentlemen. Um, oh, those creeped me out so bad. I know. And he, when he's a gnarled demon, oh my God, oh, the same thing. And uh, James Leary uh, came with him and hung out. And what they did is they sat in the middle of the auditorium and got the feedback, the real feedback from the fans. So they got a lot out of it too. And then they hung out with fans for a little while. And that's another thing that we do. Um, we will see how it works for this. But whenever we've had events, it's always been where the fans and the talent are co-mingling. It's not the talent up on a panel and the fans sitting in their chairs. It's a social aspect. So like I said, that that was our first one. That was for the 10th anniversary of Buffy. We had a kick. The next um, year, actually, yeah, the next year, we had already become fandom charities in the end of mm-hmm. 07 because we found out it's really difficult to be a bunch of fans putting on events for charity because the government, the IRS doesn't like that. 
But the IRS happens to love Fandom Charities, Inc. So we did that at the end of 07. And then Halloween for 08, we did the first official screening of Dr. Harple's sing-along blog with Felicia Day's The Guild. And we were packed. And it was costumes. And it was fantastic. And Was, it was that the one where, where maybe I'm giving something away, but Fel- this this short... Um, obvious girl, uh, uh, luchador mask comes in and sits in the middle of the reserved aisle and yeah. Yeah, well, we but, know who that was. But, and that was really cool. Um, she came in, like you said, wearing the luchador outfit, but she was with one of her cast members and nobody seemed to notice. And she got to listen to people, hear real feedback. And when it came time to introduce, you know, to start the evening and introduce, she came up on the stage and people are going, who the hell? And she takes off the mask and the whole theater just was blown away. She, she is a kick. She, she's fantastic. She is our, uh, pa- I call her our patron saint because if it wasn't for Felicia, we would have never gotten anything off the ground. And she's come to all except one of our screenings. Uh, she's, because she was working. It wasn't, she was she working, was she was working out of, out of state. Mm-hmm. She actually one year was working up in Vancouver took a plane overnight, slept on the plane, and then came to our event for a little while and then went to the formal sci-fi party for a TV movie that she had done. She really gives of herself when it comes to the organization, and we adore her for that. We truly do. Um, and so it, it was just it was a fun evening, and that was for because part of Dr. Horrible is the homelessness problem. Mm-hmm. So we that charity was Path Ventures which they built affordable housing for low-income families. And what was interesting, we didn't know it at the time, was that the staff and the two people who ran Path Ventures at the time were major Joss Whedon fans. Oh, wow. Excellent. You didn't know. I didn't know that they were. And so they were thrilled because they got photos with him. They got to talk to him, to shake hands. They giggled like little schoolgirls. It was fantastic. Um, Another time, in fact, for, for a few times, we've raised money for Kids Need to Read, org, which is um, a literacy program that was started actually by Nathan Fillion, and um, I, I always say his name wrong, H.J. Hamanas. He's a, he's a writer of young adults. I people are going to be yelling at their radios and and, and their computers as I say his name. P.J. P.J. Hamanas, um, and it's a wonderful organization, and we've raised money for them a few times. Um, we did Mr. Holland's Opus because that is one of Felicia Day's favorite charities. They are involved with, if your child has the gift, has a musical gift, they will help by loaning and sometimes giving very expensive musical instruments to the children mm-hmm. because music is so important. In fact, Felicia Day had gone to Juilliard and so she's a violinist. Yes. I had no idea. I didn't either until she told us about Mr. Holland's Opus and why it was so important to her. Uh, recently, we raised funds for Best Friends Animal Society, Los Angeles branch. Uh, they're very involved with the uh, no-kill shelters, and uh, they took over the Mission Hills one from L.A. Um, so we've done for them Journey House in Pasadena. They help uh, kids who come out of foster care. People don't realize that in Los Angeles County, when you turn 18, your foster pa- parents can kick you out because they're not getting paid anymore to take care of you. And so that means kids lose the ability to go to school, they, to even get a co- uh, high school diploma. They Some of them end up on the streets. And Journey House has done a great job in helping both boys and girls really become something. And then this year, we're 
we're still in the process of getting some charities together, though we have confirmed there's an organization in England, even though we normally do them here, mm-hmm. local. Um, but this one's very dear to our hearts um, because of sci-fi fantasy and such. It's called the Sophie Lancaster Foundation, um, a goth girl, a few years ago. She was killed for being goth. Um, oh it was horrible the, what had gone on and what her mother did and what other people are doing now with them is actually educating people that, you know, just because you're different, like we're having issues now with geek girls, um, how they're, you know, this gamer geek stuff that's going on. I'll watch my language. Um, it, 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 it was starting and happening in England first. And that's what they're doing is trying not only to educate, but also to give boys and girls a safe place to be. And that's what we're part of. So that's actually, for me, a short... <laughs> for, the, for those people who know me, know that that was really pretty concise um, about the different charities that we have raised money for. That was That's an incredible list. And, it, and one of the things that strikes me about your intent for Fandomopolis is, you know, the, the, the social aspect of it and how the... Uh, uh, how the people who come to the convention to see the the cre- the creators and the actors and and the writers and and whatnot get to actually talk to them and and be with them instead of being separated by a velvet rope or uh, uh, 30 feet up to the podium or or have to stand in the back of the hall and watch them on a monitor which they frankly could have done on YouTube and then they get charged uh, get charged 65 bucks a day for the privilege of doing it and that is really important to us. We have uh, Ben Edlund, who was one of the writers on um, Joss Whedon Projects, and he was also the uh, showrunner for many years for Supernatural, and he's done a lot of different stuff. He came to one of our events and brought his uh, child with him and got to not only hang out with the fans, get they got to tell him how his writing affected them. They... A lot of fans want to be able to let the creators know, and not just the big guys, but even the people who... The medium do, guys. The, the medium guys, the ones who do the costuming, like uh, Shauna Tripsick. She has come to many of our events. Oh, she's awesome. She is. and, and She's so creative. Oh, she absolutely. And as kind. A, as a costu- she's a costume designer, in case anybody needs a good costume designer. She's fantastic. Um, so she's been able to, you know, talk to a lot of people about what, you know, about doing costuming, uh, we've had writers, and they've been able to talk to a lot of the fans about um, how to actually put it together and how to move forward and how when you've got blocks where you just don't think you'll ever become something about still pushing forward and pushing forward. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of things, makeup artists, a lot of people behind the camera that the fans get to meet and talk with and learn from because they do want to learn. They don't want to just... Look at them. They want to learn. And that's a big thing for us, is the interaction between everybody. And, and something else, I, I know this will get me in trouble at some point, is that I have seen where there have been auctions to meet somebody or to have lunch with somebody. And the auctions will go up to $5,000. Oh, my. We have had items, very expensive, very one-off, one-of-a-kind where we've done it, where it's a drawing ticket. You buy a bunch of tickets, however many you want, and we pull a ticket. So whether you bought a $5 ticket or you bought a $105 tickets, it's still, you can get in for 5 bucks. not the only the person who can afford the $5,000. So again, so affordability. Accessible. Yes, very accessible. That's 
a really great philosophy. And I've been to a number of, of uh, Wheatonopolis events, and uh, I've always admired the way the, uh, the events are organized and just generally the mood and how happy the people are who are at the events. And, and uh, the really nice array of, of uh, material and content and the people who, who, uh, who show up from the various shows. Even and the goodies you sell. I like the cookies. <laughs> I think the shiny new Australia for yeah, the uh, shiny new Australia cookies were <laughs> it's pretty a, it's awesome. A, it, they were cookies in the shape of the continent of Australia with sort of a, a, a yellow glaze and, and gold gold icing. Icing. That was, that, that, that was, was really that was from a line. That was in inventive, the, and that was from a line in in the song. Yeah, and that was Selena Roper, one of our board members. <sighs> she's so she's an amazing baker and 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 cook and designer of food. And she just went she went and she got a mold made in the shape of Australia and then she handmade each cookie and did the designing and it took days to do the glazing and everything else and those things sold like hotcakes which was kind of surprising because the hotcakes not so much selling but yeah (laughs) (laughs) if we'd made hotcakes they wouldn't have sold as well but then and something else I'm going to throw out with all of our events all of all of our events talent has never been paid a nickel to attend now this is kind of important, I think, that you go to most charity events and they get paid to be there. You go to these big, big events, these these for-profit, and of course they're getting paid to be there, of course. Mm-hmm. Never has ever there been one talent who has said, can you give me a little something to be there? Not only have they come out of the love of the fandom and wanting to give back to those who actually have them have a job, but we've had some where we've tried to give them goodie bags and they go, no, no, no. And we go, no, take the goodie bag. No, no, no. I don't. Take the goodie bag. I'll throw it in your car if you don't take it. Well, They're, our goodie bags have things like finger puppets, admittedly. I mean, it's, it, this is not diamonds. No, it's not. It, it's interactive goodie bags so you can play with the show. And think Rocky Horror Picture Show, but without the sex. So we've got we've got the little bushes. We've got the finger puppets. We've got um, sparkles. We've got Glow Bubbles, sticks. Yeah. And, and again, we have volunteers who come the two weeks prior and then a week prior to make those toys that go into the goodie bags and then to make the goodie bags, to stuff the goodie bags. So we've got a lot of people who volunteer who end up not coming to the event because they can't for the time period, but they come and they help us ahead of time. And I think between that and the idea that talent comes out of the goodness of their heart to be there as long as they don't have a paying gig, we've had a lot of people show up just for the love of the fans. And this is not just, you know, the second demon on the left in, in one episode. You've had Nathan Fillion come to this. And you he's, know? he's come more than once. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Can I edit that out? You have. I like my cigar too, but I take it out sometimes. <laughs> I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the first time that we, I, I told you about with the Buffy's musical, what happened. It was small, and it was just a bunch of us putting it on, and we really didn't know what we were doing. When we did the first Halloween event for, with the Doctor Horrible, I forgot to tell some people who were coming. So we had a lot of the secondary characters who came and hung out with the fans, of course, Felicia in her, her luchador outfit, and we had a few other people coming, but I forgot to tell some of the staff that after, because first we showed the guild, we did a few little things, we were given some stuff to, to screen by um, Microsoft and, and a couple of other organizations that were really nice, 
And then Dr. Horrible starts to scream. The lights go down and in comes Joss Whedon with Olivia Williams and one of the people through the lobby, um, one of the uh, attendees who was still buying stuff because we never stop people from buying drawing tickets. <laughs> and she screamed Joss Whedon and he, he kind of genuflected down, you know, kind of like the Pope would. <laughs> and I went, shh, it's a surprise. And so he came in the back, and Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk and a few other people also came after them. And then the the other the Whedon brothers, Jed and Zach and Marissa came. And Marissa's oh, a brother. Yeah, well, she, she's she's <laughs> yes, kind of like the Warner brothers and the Warner brothers. Kind of, um, you know. Well, Jed and Marissa are the they're producers to each other. Yes. Well, not only they married to each other, and they were producers on this, but they're also producers for Agents of Shield. They're doing an amazing job on oh, that. Yeah. Um, but they all came in afterwards so nobody knew they were there and they uh, just said it was the first time he had ever heard real reactions to his show but the big thing that i bring up about this is and then they came up afterwards they come up on the stage they they stayed there for about 15 20 well, minutes they were rock stars oh ta- I, we we learned then we need to have somebody with a video camera at all times because nathan was amazing at what he did everyone just had a great time but to keep in mind these people this was halloween evening Everybody left. They, they just took his kids out trick or treating, and then came to us. Wow. They left parties. They were all in costume. They left parties that they were at to be with the fans and socialize with the fans. That's a big deal to me. That they left their own social worlds to come hang out with the fans on Halloween. That is pretty amazing stuff. So, but, but like I said, I, I had forgotten to tell some of our staffers about this, including one of our board members who proceeded to scream in my ear when Nathan took <laughs> off his mask. Oh, dear. Yeah, I went deaf in my left ear for a couple of days. And then people came to me and said, why didn't you tell me? I said, oh, didn't I tell you they were all coming? I'm sorry. <laughs> so, act- so we had talent except for uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Neil, if you're listening. You're invited to any of our events, but and other, your kids, yeah, and they and bring them in costume. I've seen the costumes. You you put them in on Halloween, um, but we had the cast. We had the, the like I said, the main people and the the lower and behind the scenes, and 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 they left their families to come and hang with the fans. So, what was the first convention you ever went to? How did you how did you get started in fandom yourself? Well, it's a little offbeat. Back it, in, it's always offbeat. That's kind of the point. Isn't it? I wasn't really a geek girl. Um, true, I learned to read at the age of two on Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Supergirl but magazines. You're not, but you're not a geek girl. But I'm not a geek girl. Excuse my mother me. Ins- That explains a lot. It does. My mother insisted on me staying up and watching Star Trek, even though it was past my bedtime, because I needed to see positive female role models. To this day, I've not read Nancy Drew because she's saved by her her boyfriend. My mother said that's not that's not good. But when we get into real f- geek and real fandom, I got into Buffy. Um, I'm not sure if it was season one or season two. All I know is me and my husband would sit on the couch and watch it. And God forbid the phone rang during the show. And he would go, who the hell is calling on Tuesday during the show? They know better. <laughs> and we and, and I got on a, a website, a forum site called Buffy Guide, which sadly is no longer. And it was just we, we talked people from Australia, from England from 
all over the, the world. We, we talked everything. We pulled it apart. We put it back together again. I've, I videotaped for people outside of America and sent them the videotapes. Oh, you folks have no idea how lucky you are that everybody now has a friend in England and the internet <laughs> and the, and what we can do now with CDs and DVDs. You have no idea how bad it was back in 98 and 99. But I decided to start a meetup and in 2003, we had our first meetup of six people who met at a coffee shop, and it's now grown to a database of about 400 people, and I'd say about 30, and it changes, 30 or so people meet every month. That was the beginning of me coming out of the closet. That's what I call it. I was coming out of the geek closet. And my first convention was going to Creation in Pasadena Sunday, which was Buffy Day. Buffy and Angel, and I was so thankful that my fandom doesn't wear costumes or makeup because it was hard enough for me to go out in public and admit what I was doing. But I went with my husband, and it. I remember the only way I remember what year it is. It was season six of Buffy <laughs> because James Marsters was there, mm-hmm. and somebody asked him if he could please do a push up or two. <sighs> and there was, but there was, there were, they had people from behind the scenes. They, the Nick Brendan was there. It was. It was fun, and it was one day, and it brought, and it was a safe way to bring me in. Then in 2004, a friend, a co-friend of ours, Alison Frankel, who was heavy, heavy into costuming, was very involved with the Save Farscape campaign. And she goes, come, come for one day. We're going to go down for Saturday. We're going to go with a bunch of our friends who are going to be all dressed up like Farscape people, and they're going to hand out flyers for Save Farscape, and we're going to go for just one day. You'll love it. Scared the hell out of me, that I'd never seen so many people in costume, and not all of them were good, but some of them were beyond amazing. Her Farscape friends scared the heck out of me. I'd never, I'd never seen anybody do full-blown makeup and wigs and, and everything. It was just, it was wild, but it was one day. And I got to meet Sarah Michelle Geller. Um, cause she had a panel for a movie she was in, and I got to meet her, and it was just, it was really interesting. So the next year, I went down to San Diego Comic-Con for a week with Sean Ray, who's also one of our board members, and three other women that we, we aren't part of us anymore. But we went down, and I had a blast. I got to go. This was when Comic-Con, you could get away with a lot of stuff. And I got behind the scenes. I got to meet people. got to do things. And that's where Weedonopolis came from, mm-hmm. and Phantomopolis, and Phantom Charities was from that one week of seeing what a con could really be when everybody was friendly, when you could always get a seat in every room, when you could meet the people who made it happen. And it was a blast. And so I would say that, well, I would, a little dribs and drabs before, Comic-Con San Diego 2005, that's what opened my eyes and made everything happen. So now people on my board know who to blame. (laughs) It's all that year's fault. What a great story. What a great story. And you met so many people all at once who uh, you've been sort of dragging them with you like magnetic, <laughs> like magnetic uh, minds. We are her accretion disc. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, in 2004, um, which was kind of interesting, I was on a board, something called BAPS, Bloody Awful Poets Society. It was a mm-hmm. Yahoo group. Anybody remember Yahoo groups? Um, and I knew a few people from it, and I was asked if I would be involved in the Save Angel campaign, the actual 
rallies because they had canceled the series Angel and we were trying to get it to come back. And it was one of the first campaigns. There was the Safe Farscape campaign, which was way more successful. There was the Browncoats, what they did, and they got a movie out of it, Firefly, and then the movie Serenity. I worked on Serenity. Yeah, that was it was fantastic. There were a lot of people who got into Firefly because of the movie. Mm-hmm. And so I was involved in the Save Angel campaign at the Warner Brothers um at the ranch. Actually live people and the big deal about that was that people actually came out from their computers and they stood and they protested. Nowadays news would be there. In those days the news was scared to death of us. So they didn't come out. But I met a bunch of people. I met Kelly there. Um, Kelly Amore, who's our vice president, and met her there and met a bunch of other people there who over the years have come and stayed and, and helped and been involved with stuff. But then, you know, when you're talking about bringing the group along, I met a bunch of people at uh, for Farscape through Allison, met a whole bunch of people. And then about a week later, I was asked to put together in Los Angeles something called High Stakes 2014. It was a fundraiser. It was a Democratic fundraiser for Kerry at the time. But the big deal was Joss had agreed to do a phone call and, and people would call in and they would listen to him answering questions that had been submitted by fans. And it, that was put together by Alison Abramowitz, who was a part of the Democratic Party. And I was asked if I do an L.A. chapter. And uh, I turned to my husband, who at the time was a staunch Republican, who said, no. So he now keeps saying, Oh, this is because of me, aren't you? Don't you all love me? Because he said, no, uh, I tried to find an, a venue. And when Joss heard that we couldn't find a venue that would hold like 20, 40 people um, outside that we could have a speakerphone, he told the Democratic Party that if you can find a venue that will hold 400, I will actually come to it and I'll bring my friends. So with one week's notice and no sleep, I put together, um, I, Alison Abramowitz, Herc was involved in helping with promotion, and the day of, we made him be the um, moderator. Um, but that was also when the, I, that's the last time I uh-huh. ever stayed in the background. I learned that you can't just be in the background. You got to let people know you're a part of it. But we had over 400 people. We had all the talent from majority of his shows. We had even secondary people who came at, like Dennis Christopher, who actually paid for his own ticket to come in and then got overwhelmed by people when they realized that he was the demon that killed Wesley. Um, So many people came, but the big deal was, Joss said, it has to be a party. Uh, Everyone has to mix and mingle. It's the first time I met Jay August, the only man I've ever giggled in front of. Um, Oh, I would giggle in front of him. Oh, God. he's Anyway, um, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married. But the big deal was that for that party, I had to get people together to do security, to just take care of everything and I went to my meetup people I went to my my geek friends and I said do you want to and they all say that that was when they learned when Marcia says do you wanna the answer is always yes find out later what it is but always say yes and so they were involved they got to meet people they would never have met otherwise and it's always moved forward from there every time I say you know let's go do this they're like yes we well, don't know what it is it's okay it's okay we'll do it anyway but that was an amazing, it was 2004, was the first time we ever did a party where the talent was involved and the fans were good. They weren't crazy. They didn't overwhelm. And that's a big thing to me about in fandom. The majority of people in fandom are respectful. They are patient. They can stand online for five hours. They're patient. Uh, but everything about how they treated 
the talent and how the talent treated them back was very interesting to me in that year. That if you give fans an opportunity, they will surprise you. They will do the right thing. And it was great. And again, now that happened to have been for the Democratic Party. But after that, we started doing stuff for other for real charities Mm -hmm. and also bringing all those same people along with us. And that uh, how that all worked really underscores uh, what I think is so right with the way you're doing uh, Fandomopolis and what I think is actually going wrong with some of the big super cons out there, the, the, the massive, massive conventions that compete with each other to see how many tens of thousands of people they can jam in one exhibit hall and and how long the lines are to get photo ops and how much they can charge for photo ops for people i don't it's 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 creating an us at versus them sort of uh uh fandom society and i don't think that's i think that's counterproductive and that that's not where we came from i will tell you you know i'm going to start to talk about other um conventions that i think are very good still want you guys you know People to listen who are local, you know, come buy tickets from us also. But there are some that are really good, like Long Beach Comic Con slash Long Beach Expo. There are a bunch of fans. I think it might be their fifth or sixth year doing this. If I, think they, I think it's their third, actually. Well, they have no media. It's the written word. It's um, comics. It's n- books, which I love. Mm-hmm. It's artists. It's it, it's really, it was fun. It was a fun event to go to. I can't stress that enough. It was affordable and it was fun and they're based in Long Beach. There was parking. Oh my God, that was wonderful. <laughs> um, if you're going to go for something bigger, WonderCon. They have a limit of 50,000 people that are allowed there, which is great. There's room to move. You can get into almost every room. I was there two years ago, and uh, I think there were, they said they had thirty five to 38,000 people. Yeah, and that's the thing. Um, since they moved from San Francisco, which they didn't want to do, and they still want to go back and, and have it up there if they ever can. What I liked was that the first year, it, it was like about 30,000, and then it was up a little bit more. The cap is fif- about 50. Mm-hmm. That is great. So you can actually go into the exhibitors' rooms. You can see the tables. You can get into panels. It's wonderful. I happen to like it. Parking can be interesting, but it, it's worth it. Now, for that, we do the closing event, Dr. Horrible. Mm-hmm. And we do it in the arena, and the arena holds about twenty one hundred people, and we pretty close to fill that up. That's impressive. Thank you. That is impressive for San Diego Comic Con. I, I want to throw this out um, because I, I want to throw out San Diego Comic Con too. <laughs> well, it is, it, it is what it is. It is what it is. And so, and I'll tell you, uh, but I'm pumped. Some of the, some of the things they have actually no choice in. You know, you want this, you got to take this. You want us to pay for this, you got to do this. People don't realize in San Diego Comic Con Hall H. It costs, I, uh, back in 07, I was told it cost approximately $10,000 an hour to run with staff and everything else, which is why for ages it was closed on Sunday because the net, the studios actually have to pay for that, for it to happen. But what I was going to throw out is that back in 07, we paid out of our pocket to uh, get the rights, which, um, to be able to screen the Buffy again. Oh, yes. Uh, the uh-huh. sing-along. And we did it opposite the masquerade on Saturday night. Well, they've never done anything opposite the masquerade before or since because it it, it wasn't a safe thing. We had over 2,000 people show up for a 500-seat room. We sh- ended up showing it Oops. three times that <laughs> evening. And then in 2008, they asked us, they said, you know, we were thinking, because back then people came for Saturday, but they didn't hang for Sunday. They didn't go for the other days. And they said, what would people stay Sunday for? Buffy. 
And they asked us to host it. Because they saw what happened. And now this is something really important to me that never happened before I was told that usually at the end of a convention, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're dragging your feet, you might have some concord going on. At the end of the first, and this happens every year, but at the end of the first year, and we had about maybe 700 or so people, because most people didn't know we were doing it, and they'd already gone home or what have you. But at the end of it, people had grins on their faces, and they left the convention center smiling. You could tell who had seen it and who had done something else at the end, because they all still looked grumpy. And each year it's gotten bigger and bigger. There was a time we were in ballroom 20, we were in hall H. Now we're in the big six room. We get about 2,100 people, but people leave with a smile on their face. And I'd love to, love to be able to say that, you know, again, it was the Weedonopolis people. It was, it was the, my staff, my crew, my volunteers who were willing to stay to the bitter end of the conventions and give up some things that they were going to do to be able to give back to the fans. And I'm very proud of them for doing that because it was a blast. Well, it's participatory. You're, you're, you're not just, just watching something, taking it in, but you're giving, giving, if you're an audience member, you're giving back. They're all making each other smile. Well, you know, I'm going to throw this out. You know, I'll get, okay, commercial for fandomopolis.org. Um, we on, um, Friday night from midnight through 6 a.m., we're going to be screening the, you know, I've been told if you call it the trilogy, they go trilogy of what? Star Wars. Isn't that the only trilogy out there? No. Well, to me. But we're going to do the original version, which is Han's shot first. Uh-huh. And it's not going to have any special cr- different things, but that's going to be the overnight. We're going to do Rocky Horror Picture Show on Saturday evening because, after all, it's a sing-along. It's fun. And it's going to be after the after the um, cosplay costume contest. And there might be a kind of another sing-along going on at the end of the event, but I really couldn't say. But it might be the only time it's been done in, legally in Los Angeles for many years. Aha. Uh-huh. If that is actually uh, a major concern, it's it's surprising. But uh, uh, ten years ago, um, they were there was a lot less fuss and hubbub about uh, public performances of certain TV shows or certain movies. Uh, you know, in in non-commercial venues like convention halls and cl- clubhouses and this kind of thing. But lately, they've been sort of clamping down on that. Well, I can tell you what that's about. The older shows do not have public screening rights. Because if you don't have public screening rights, then the talent who's supposed to get paid residuals won't get paid residuals. So you've got an issue with that. There are some shows and, and some series that don't have public screening rights. Over 50 people in the room, that's considered public, even if you're doing it in a church or you're doing it in a school auditorium. you know. And even if you're not charging, it's still you are supposed to pay for the rights because that money is supposed to go to the talent. Now, I'll do a very brief on, like Buffy. Okay, Fox got in trouble with SAG. Someone the talent all knew what was going on for ages, but someone um, made a comment that where's my residuals? And it became a big thing. And SAG went after Fox for a hundred thousand dollars in residuals. Oh, and so the, and not just for that one, but then there were episodes that didn't have um, screening rights, public screening rights, because they didn't have the rights for the music. That's another thing. WKRP in Cincinnati. It hasn't <laughs> come out for ages, and now that it came out, it's almost butchered because they can't get the, the, the public screening rights for most of that music. 
Oh, man. And that's a big the, thing. Well, the licensing all expired. I was wondering why we hadn't seen that show in a long time, and now I know. That's it. And so and I know a lot of times I'll say the words legal, that we did it legal, because it's not necessarily that the creators are being evil. Some of the creators are killing themselves because they can't go and show their own stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the, And it's sometimes it's not even the studios that are the problem. The problem was that they never created it the correct way. They never did the contracts the correct way. Family Guy, if you look at their contract with their talent, it says, it, it's public screening rights, it's this, this, for all known and unknown universes. That I mean, sounds smart-ass, huh. but hell, who knows, you know? <laughs> he, he's making sure that even if we find a, another dimension, he can show his shows over there because he's got the rights in the contract. And that's that's a big thing now with a lot of the big, like Wizard Con mm-hmm. and Emerald City and all those. They have to be careful. There are things that we used to get away with, creation used to get away with, that they won't do anymore because now everybody's looking over everyone's shoulders and making sure that everyone's getting their nickels. Well, you know, film rooms. You don't see big film rooms anymore because, well, a lot of times it's, it's because um, we can all watch these shows at home now. But it's, but it's fun watching certain films with a group. The callbacks, the mm. talking tos. I went to go see, um, oh gosh, uh, not the one with Lucille Ball, but, um, I went to go see a screening of the original version of Auntie May mm-hmm. with, uh, I believe Rosalind Russell. Russell. And I'm sitting there. Actually, Eugene and I are sitting there, and we turn and look, and this is a old theater, the Egyptian. You've got your balcony, you've got your downstairs, and I'm looking, and, and the ev- carvings on the ceiling, and the whole thing. And everyone is not only singing along; they're talking along. They are talking the out loud the exact words as the actors are on the screen. And I went, "Oh my God, they're my people." <laughs> and these were not sci-fi fantasy. No, geeks. not just sci-fi fantasy people by any means. Right, but to do this, they still had to do it in a real theater, and it was a film. Because that's the only way you can do it. If they had done this in a smaller venue, in a nightclub or something, they might have gotten into trouble. They may not have been able to do it. Unless they had that. Uh, what's the name of the license that uh, Lost Fits just had to I had to purchase? I, it's but you know it's something, 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 something. Yeah. Four letters. Uh, anyway, it's it's uh, it's a license to cover public performances of of, uh, of films so that... Uh, and I know your animation guy has one, so oh, you're yes. good. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's another thing. We want to show some animation <clears throat> that people haven't gotten to see, but they'll love to see in groups like Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs, you know. It's just I'm kind of hoping things. for up what's opera doc so we can sing kill the wa- we can sing kill the wabbit. <laughs> oh yes. Yes, as many for many people, Kill the Wabbit is uh what's opera doc is their first exposure to opera and Wagnerian uh, Wagnerian opera. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And that, that and that's what we're like we're hoping for with this with 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 Vandemopolis is have and, and I say to people what do you want they say well what are you well we're mixed media we're multiverse we're a little of everything you can do Sherlock from the books up to the television shows you know it's it's a lot of everything what would you like it to be and would you like to run a panel and we really want to grow this and we want it to be what the fans want which is why I, right now we have four panels. We have one organization called the uh, uh, Backup Ribbon Project, mm-hmm. which is about oh, yes. protecting people. Tina Baychalk. Yes. She's, she's been on the Event Horizon twice. And so we're, we're doing a lot. It's We want it to be inclusive. 
We want it to be fun, mm-hmm. and we want it to be what people want. And if you want it to be what you want, then get involved. We still need volunteers. We need more staff. We need more people involved. And it, it's fun, and it's not like it's going to take up your entire life. You know, we're talking maybe a couple of hours a week, and and it, but it's fun. And then you get to meet people. You have an excuse to go up and talk to strangers because you got the right badge and you get to go up to people and, and be social. And for some people who are normally shy, it's a great excuse to go and talk to people and really get to know them. And I've seen some people in, in our world really blossom because they got to be one of the greeters. I just, I, I like that kind well, of and stuff. And there's a, there's another aspect to it. And that is that, uh, when you bring all of these people together in the same place at the same time with, uh, with creatives, um, one of the things that you find out is that a lot of the fans themselves are just as creative and and can do and have done work at least as good as the stuff that ended up on the screen. In fact, um, throwing out to Doctor Who for New Who, the <clears throat> newest Who, that opening sequence was made by a fan. Oh, it's it's based on footage made by a fan. right, but the, but yes. they gave the fan the. They they thanked him. They they they. Um, they didn't just steal the whole idea. Right. They they reimbursed. Credited him. They, they credited actually, him. They credited him, and they actually paid him. Yes, and that's huge. And instead of like some studios where they go, "How dare you?" and we're going to sue you for doing this, instead they went, oh, "They're one of us. We are geek. You are geek. Let's go play with it." Uh, I'll say Brian Henson for the Farscape community. He has, over the years, allowed the fans to to make things, to play with things, to do things. And it got to the point where one person had this amazing, um, he turned um, them into cartoons, and he made t-shirts and all kinds of stuff. Creation had hired him to do their stuff because he was so fantastic. Um, I like that. I saw a lot of the, the brown coats, the people who were involved mm-hmm. in Firefly, who, when they were encouraged by Universal Studios to do guerrilla marketing, came up with amazing artwork, who have now gotten amazing jobs because of it. Uh, there's Adam Levermore, who turned doing some things for Can't Stop the Serenity into a, his own business doing artwork. And he's done amazing things. And there are so many people out there. I like it because what I miss about San Diego Comic-Con was the ability of pros to meet and talk and socialize and for fans to be able to talk to the pros and maybe get a job. Well, and, and that's the big secret, isn't it? That uh, that the fans all start out as fans and they work at it and they see stuff they love and they replicate it and uh, they sweat blood over it and then they take it out and they show it and it turns out to be way better than the stuff that it was based on and uh, and they end up being uh, they end up entering the professional world that's how cert- that's certainly how it was with me uh, I, I can w- think of a number of uh, I can think of a number of and prop builders oh yes oh yes yeah. Uh, Joe Joe Charisman. Joe Charisman. Charisman. Um, uh, the, the he's a customer and a very very good one. Max Cervantes. Oh yes, Max Cervantes, who started out uh, just making props as a fan and then ended up working on uh, working on Star Trek and Voyager. Uh, Star Trek, yeah. yeah, Star Trek Voyager and a number of others. And the uh, the 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 store design for Whimsic Alley, this the uh, uh, store in uh, what Midtown LA that yes, specializes that, in mm-hmm. the, uh, the Harry, Harry Potter, Potter stuff. And other that was Max that, Cervantes yeah. as well that did that. Yeah, and, and I have, I've seen a lot of I, I've talked with a lot of creatives 
who said that that's how they started. I've talked to writers who said, you know how you're supposed to send a spec script in, but it's supposed to be about a different show? I kind of did it about the show I wanted to be on, and I sent it to them anyway, even though they weren't supposed to. There are some people I know who actually got jobs that way, um, or they, they do a project for an event or for one of these web series or, or these you know Kickstarter campaigns, mm-hmm. and then they're seen by others, and then they get to work, whether it's part-time or full-time, they get to do what they love and get paid for it. Well, And, and even if you don't get paid for it, you know, you don't, you can't go around telling people they're guaranteed to get discovered at this convention. No, no, you can't. No, 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 you no, can't. But that's, no, that's not the point. The point is that, uh, that they get to come together and be around other people who like doing the same stuff. And, uh, you know, you, you don't necessarily end up uh, being discovered, but you might end up working with other people who are at the same level you are, and you end up with a project like, oh, Star Trek Continues, mm. you know, with Vic Mignogna, who, uh, you know, understandably, I mean, he, he's got he's got some professional credits, but he didn't, when he, he wasn't known as Captain Kirk before he started this thing. And uh, and now it's it's like, it's the next best thing to real Star Trek. I mean, it's it's got some a lot of the same people who worked on the original show on it. I, I look at this, I say things that sometimes upset people because I'll tell you exactly what I think. And I'm the business head. Whenever it, there's a project, there's a TV show or movie, whatever, I'm like, or, or a talent who needs to be promoted, how can we get them to do more projects so we can enjoy the project? Let the suits know that we'll buy the project so that they'll go ahead and they'll give them money to go make another project, which is why I love the idea of crowdsourcing because they can go directly to us and we mm-hmm. can go ahead and, and give money for that. And I, I love that. There are so many talented people out there who get to meet the other talented people at events like this to see, to learn, to be taught. Maybe they just don't quite get how to do this one little thing and they run into somebody who says, oh, do this, this, and this. They go, oh my God, this is wonderful. Oh my God, this is the missing piece. This is the piece I didn't have. And then they turn around and produce something amazing. Absolutely. and or, they, or they join up with a bunch of other people who each have something amazing to contribute and they create something new and wonderful and it comes right out of, up right out of the community instead of uh, them trying to climb up into uh, into the existing uh, studios or the existing production uh, teams they make their own production teams and they make their own stuff and then suddenly we can be fans about something that one of us made now, and I'll I'll tell you what I think is also an issue I know I keep talking about San Diego Comic Con because I know that one the best because it's local I've been to and I understand what goes on but I've also seen the changes. And what I've seen is that a lot of the, quote, cool kids, the ones that were too cool for the rest of us, all of a sudden they realize we were having all this fun. We've been having a blast for, what is it, for some organizations like Lasfis, what are we talking, like 70 years? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And oh, yes. we're having a blast. And we're not the people hiding in a basement. Actually, I don't even know anyone who hides in a basement. Everyone I know does it out in public. And we're having a fantastic time. And now they're coming and trying to hang out with us. They're trying to come and see what it is we do. That's why the rooms get full. Because they're there wanting to see what is it we're into. And oh my God, it is fun. They're bringing their children now. That was something that blew me away at Long Beach Comic Con. A huge amount of parents with their children. Everybody was in costume. Oh, yes. Huge amount of moms there. No dads. Moms with their kids and everybody in costume. You know. I mean, we people, saw whole families at Salt Lake Comic Con. 
Yeah, it's. I, we saw more Mostly. strollers at Salt Lake Comic Con than at any other convention I've ever been to. Yeah, but, you, but they actually had kids in them, not, yes, not yes. their books and stuff. Right, exactly. They were actually full of kids. And they would be uh, they would be coming through, and it would be mom and dad and sister and brother and two kids in the stroller. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so there's a small army thundering through the aisles and followed by another small army thundering through the aisles and and they were all looking at stuff and even i've met a lot of people who they don't they don't wear the geek shirts yet mm-hmm. they don't do a lot of the stuff but their eyes are wide and they're looking at everything and i'll go up and i go do you have a question and they'll go yes and then they'll start to ask stuff and do things and and give them a couple of years and all of a sudden they may not show up in a costume but maybe they'll mm-hmm. show up in a geek shirt, and maybe at some point they'll do something that flies under the radar, and little by little, then all of a sudden, they'll actually be full-blown, and they're having a good time. They are now coming and playing in our sandbox, and it every everyone, sooner or later, is going to be a geek. That's what I well, think, Well, that's too. the secret of the universe. Uh, uh, everyone's a geek, whether it's, you know, the football geek or, you know... My mother became a basketball geek for no apparent reason. No, no apparent reason. None, we never, none of us knew it was coming. But come out of your geek closet. Love and, what you love. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do it in the next four months, come out to Fandomopolis. Uh, it's in, it's going to be in the Los Angeles area, specifically in Van Nuys, at the Airtel uh, Airport Hotel. Well, uh, the Airtel Plaza. Airtel Plaza, thank mm-hmm. you. The, the website is fandomopolis.org. We have been talking to Marcia Powers, the chairman of that convention. Marcia, it's been wonderful having you on the show this evening. No, it, it's been fun talking about the geek stuff that we do and that we love. And thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You're, you're very welcome, and you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. And we are out. Don't feel bad if you cut stuff out. It's not going to hurt me. <coughs> I can wander. About the only thing I'll be cutting out is the blank spots and the coughs. Everything <laughs> else is fine. Good. You have just heard episode 85 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for January 10th, 2015. Our guest was Marcia Powers, convention chair of the new Los Angeles area sci-fi and popular media convention, Fandomopolis. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio's station manager, Gene Turnbow, and our executive producer, Susan Fox. This episode will air again on January 11th, 2015, at 4 p.m. Pacific, and at various additional times throughout the coming week. See the Krypton Radio website at kryptonradio.com for showtimes in your area. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads at the Krypton Radio website and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry, and the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. Our production manager is Kat Carter, and sound engineering is done by Gene Turnbow. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2015 by Krypton Media Group, Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.